in a series in the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, if you're going to dial it up on your phone, that's fine. Uh, The book of Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 18. We're talking about together for grace. We're talking about the power of the gospel. We're talking about how God's grace comes into our life, not just to settle in, but to spill out so that we can bless people. We're blessed in order to be a blessing. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, we're going to talk about the crash today. Uh, If you've ever seen rhinos, rhinos run 30 miles per hour. They have a horn. They can see 30 feet ahead. That's a concern as fast as they run. What do you do at 31 feet? Well, the issue is the rhinos aren't concerned what's at 31 feet. What needs to be concerned it's at 31 feet is whatever's standing at 31 feet because they call rhinos that are together for grace a crash. And that's the picture of the church. That's what Paul's been telling us. This church in Philippi is the crash. It's like together we are forging ahead, together as rhinos, the crash, the gospel of grace is making a huge splash in Philippi. And it started with a few people. We remember Lydia the rich woman. She's no longer Lydia the rich woman. She is now Lydia who is rich in Christ. We had a slave girl who was demon-possessed. She's no longer demon-possessed. She's now a slave to righteousness where she used to be a slave to sin. Then we had the Philippian jailer who got saved because a couple of guys got filled with something in the prison and he said, could I have a little bit about what you have? Acts chapter 16, he said, yeah, I'll send you to the same place I got mine. It's Jesus Christ. So we have this little church that started by a river and expanded in uh, Philippi in the area of Rome. So this is an incredible picture of what the gospel is, together for grace. So let's remember in this transition that we are together for grace. And that's what I've entitled this series study. So we're in verses 12 through 18, coming out of the beautiful flow of chapter 1. Remember, we're going to get to the theme verse in chapter 1. The theme verse is Philippians 1.21, for to me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. But you'll see how everything sandwiched around verse 21 on the beginning side and the end side is about Christ is my life. That's what Paul says. He's in prison under house arrest and he is chained to a prison guard. When God wants to get his message to a group of people, he may put you in chains so that they can't run and you can't either. He had a captive audience. Isn't it genius of God? He had a captive audience. Paul the apostle had a captive audience. This was the elite of Rome. This was uh, Caesar's people. 10,000 people, they would get double pay. These were the greatest of the greatest to guard the palace. And God says, I've got a plan that's going to blow you away in Philippi. I'm going to chain Paul to these prisoners for about six-hour shifts. Let's see how they do in that situation. So this is what Paul's saying. So People in Philippi were probably saying to the Apostle Paul, well, you know, we want to pray that God would get Paul out of jail because there's no way the gospel can spread when Paul's in jail. Paul said, quit praying for me. The gospel is going to go forward. In fact, I'm chained to people who need to hear the gospel. God has his man and his message chained to people that need to hear it, and they respond to it. In fact, we'll find at the end of this study in chapter 4 that uh, Caesar's whole household believed. I mean, God took the message all the way to the top. It's incredible when you just rest and you trust that God can take your prison and turn it into a platform. 
Some of you are in a prison today. Some of you are in a prison of your own making. Some of you are in a prison of somebody else's making. But nevertheless, you're in a prison. And one of the things that can happen in prison, you can get anxious, you can get depressed, you can get deeply disturbed, or you can make a choice to choose to trust God in the midst of your prison so that God can make your prison a platform for his message of grace and his love. Is there somebody here today that God has you in a prison, but he's trying to get you into a position in that prison so that your ministry can be effective in that prison? So don't think, I need to get another job. I need to get another marriage. I need to get out of here. I need to move away from this situation. What I have found in my own personal life, Sometimes when I've tried to move away from a situation, I found myself the problem and I moved myself away, but the problem still followed me. That's where some of you are today. The problem is you may be walking in pride and you're not walking in humility and grace. And the Apostle Paul gives us an example here. So here's what it says in verse 12. Follow along with me. But I want you to know, brethren, the word know means to know by experience. What Paul is saying here is you would never know this if I was not chained to this prison guard. I'm telling you and I'm writing to you out of my own experience. These chains that are put around my wrist, it was a small chain that was put around his wrist and it clamped into the wrist of the soldier. That's what he is saying here. I want you to know I'm speaking to you out of my experience, experiential knowledge that the things which happen happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. In other words, when you allow God to use your prison as a platform and that platform becomes effective, God can do amazing things through your life and through my life. I do not want to be in the prison that I'm in personally. I would want to escape where I feel like I am. My emotions sometimes are all over the place, but I've got to come to a place in my own life and I have to pray daily and I have to pray moment by moment and situation by situation. God, I am in this situation and my circumstance doesn't seem to work for me. It seems to work against me. However, you may be wanting to further the gospel through my life. So I As a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul would say, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm tied and bound to the Lord Jesus. He says, I want you to further the gospel through me. So the idea would be in your life and in my life, some of the tough times that we go through where the enemy wants to take us out. You see, the job description of the enemy is to shoot and to kill. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So Christ in me, in my prison. Paul was in Christ before he was in prison. If you can know that you're in Christ today, if you can know like these two that were baptized who had put their faith in Jesus, if you can settle the fact today that you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what prison you ever face in your life. You need to know that you're in Christ before you need to know that you're in chains. And if you're in Christ and in chains, then you learn to bless God in your chains. And if God takes the chains off, you learn to bless God when the chains are off. You bless God all the way through. You stand, you walk, you're in joy, and there's joy on either side of this thing. And Paul says in verse 12, I want you to know that the things which have happened to me, being thrown into jail, he's under house arrest. He's a very popular prisoner because they got people all over him. He said, I want you to know, people, quit praying for me. God's got this thing. He's cutting a path. It says here, for the furtherance of the gospel. So the gospel is being spread while Paul is in chains. Can it be said of you 
that in your chains, in your circumstance, in your situation, is the gospel going through from your life? Ask yourself two questions. Number one, how is the gospel advancing in my circumstances? Number one. Number two, how is the gospel advancing me in my circumstances? See, some of you may think and throw in the towel, quit, this is over with, I'm done with this thing. Maybe shift your focus. Get your focus on the Lord and see what he might do in your life in the midst of being in chains. So Paul talks about it cuts a path. The word furtherance means to cut a path. When I was managing my grandmother's farm, they're always praying for rain in western Kansas, southwest Kansas, because it's constantly a drought. You have to keep your insurance current because you never know when you're going to use it. But one of the things that would happen is sometimes when we were living there, there would be six, seven, eight inches of rain all at one time. Well, the fields couldn't handle it because it's just flat. It's like Houston. It's just flat. And so they would have terraces. And what would happen is there would be so much water that the water was so strong that it would cut a path through the field. And it wouldn't stay in your field. It would cross your field to go into somebody else's field. And that mighty rush of that water would cut a path. And all of a sudden, a path that was not there is now there because of the power of the water. If you think about the power of the gospel... Paul is saying the gospel is so powerful that it's cutting a path in the midst of the obstacle and creating an opportunity for me to be further the gospel in my life. God is saying that in this situation. So Paul talks about furthering the gospel through his life. First of all, ask yourself this question. Who am I? Who am I? Now, if it's not about you, then your perspective can change when you're in prison. Your perspective can change when you're in prison. If it's not about you, your perspective can change. Number two, what do I do while I'm in prison? What do I do? Well, I'm a bond servant. I submit. I surrender. And why am I here? Why am I in this prison? It doesn't matter if it's your own making or if it's of somebody else's making or it's a situation that you just find yourself in. What do you do? You allow God to produce a platform in your life that will produce effective ministry so the gospel can be furthered. Because if it's not about you, then that means it's about him. So you don't want to focus on your prison. You don't want to focus on what is going to happen to you. You want to say, how is the gospel? advancing in my life. We as a church want to know how the gospel is advancing, not just in me, but in the church life. So it's not about me. It's not about who the next pastor is. It's about who Jesus is and how he wants to do in and through our lives what we can never do. So this gospel, Paul says, cut a path. That's what the text says in verse 12. So in your life, could God not be cutting a path today? cutting a path of his power in your life, in your situation, so that the gospel could go forth? Could you surrender and be at peace in the midst of being chained to Christ because God has a bigger plan. He's got a better plan. He knows the beginning from the end, and he loves you so much that he sees the big picture, not just the blip on the screen that we see that we're going through. Just be encouraged today in your walk. Verse 13. What's the reason for this platform? So that it may become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Paul talks about it being evident. It was visible to people. That's what the word evident means. Your prison becomes the stage on which God turns the spotlight on so that all the people... You see, you can witness with your lips until you're blue in the face. But when you witness with your life, 
in the midst of a circumstance in a prison, people that would never listen began to look at you and wonder what it is that you have that they don't have. And they began to ask questions because they began to say, I wonder if I can trust God in my situation because they see you trusting God in your situation. Some of you, see, it's not about you. It's about you pointing people to Jesus in the midst of your situation. In your trial today, in your struggle today, in your circumstance today, is it evident to people that you belong to Jesus? Or are you having a pity party and you're the only one there? I've done that before. I've had a party and nobody came. It's just me. And I complained and I whined and I sucked on a pacifier and God said when you get through with the pacifier, put it down, uh, throw it away, get another pacifier until you grow up, big boy, and understand that I'm in control. So it can become evident to all people. Some of you today, God is wanting to squeeze the message of his grace through your life because of the prison that you think you're in that you're going to be in forever. And here's the beautiful thing about a prison with Jesus. You can be behind bars like Paul and be free on the inside. You can be free on the inside. You see, prisons have bars and they have walls, but a relationship with Jesus Christ in the midst of a prison that has bars and walls cannot stop you because you are free. Even though you're bound to your Savior, you are free to be all that God has called you to be. Paul says here, verse 13, that it's become evident to the whole palace guard. This was the elite of Rome. Could you imagine what it would be like for the guy coming off the six-hour shift that had just been chained with the Apostle Paul for six hours? Could you imagine that he went to the guy before him and said, listen, see if you can get your schedule changed. You don't want to be chained to him for six hours. All he talks about is the efficacy of the blood. All he talks about is the relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, if you can get your shift changed, get your shift changed now because you don't want to hear the click because when you hear the click, it's over for you, big boy. He's going to talk about Jesus because Christ is his life. Prisons don't keep him bound. He's free in Jesus Christ. So Paul had a captive audience every six hours. Isn't it genius and amazing of God in the midst of a prison to put his apostle Paul chained to the elite of Rome, the Roman Empire. See, God knows what he's doing. And I'm trying to say that to myself over and over and over again. I don't understand, but I can stand when I don't understand. I don't understand the platform. I have to understand the purpose behind the platform, and I have to learn to trust God because my chains are in Christ. Write this down. The greatest sermon you may ever preach is that you suffer well. That you suffer well. People are watching. People are looking. They're looking not to you. They're looking to see if God is in you. And if God is in you, the way you respond is different than the way other people respond when they're squeezed and the message comes to them. So Paul understood the purpose of his life. His prison became a platform that was incredibly effective, and he wasn't afraid of the glare of the spotlight because of what God was doing in his life. Verse 14, and most of the brethren, look at the impact of this, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Look at the text again. So people were getting encouraged. And most of the brethren who were in the Lord, having become confident, settled in their heart, by my chains, by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you know that it only takes one person to affect a whole group of people? 
It only takes one person that's sold out. It only takes one person that's willing to surrender to Christ. It only takes one person in a prison to say yes to Jesus, and then all of a sudden people who are outside the prison become more bold because all of this circular letter here, all of the conversation around this area in Philippi would have been, Paul's in jail, Paul's in jail, but God's using Paul. The message is going forth. In fact, I'm a preacher, and I'm outside of jail, and I am really confident. I'm more bold because if he can preach the message of grace inside of prison, surely I can preach it outside of prison. That's what was happening. That's what God does. It only takes a little spark. It only takes a little fire in our lives. Someone who's willing to say yes to Jesus. Teenagers who are up here leading, who are the future of our church. It only takes one who's willing to sell out and one who's willing to say yes. And it only takes one senior adult and one median age adult. And then all of a sudden, it encourages a whole group of folks. You know, our problem is we don't trust very well, do we? When you began... To be who God makes you to be. When you stand in strength and you stand in joy and you stand in your walk, it encourages a whole group of people. We should be encouraging our church today together for grace. We're forging ahead. We're moving forward. We're grateful for the past. We are absolutely grateful for the past and his grace. But God is a God of the future and he has the future in his hands. Let's don't worry about all the logistical things. Let's just trust God. God can handle your problem better than you can. Some of you need to let go. Let go and let God. He can handle it much better. We'd like to take our problem and hold it and massage it. Go to bed with it and we wake up with the same problem instead of saying, God, I give it to you. You see, some of us today, we need to go into the box where our problem is. Picture this box. Go into the box and take the problem out of the box and hand the problem to God and walk away and never grab hold of the problem again saying, God, I trust you. I want to be confident in the fact that I want to speak the grace message to people so that they can become stronger in their faith. Verse 15. Notice what he does here. He turns his enemies into evangelists. He turns his enemies into evangelists. This is so genius of God and so incredibly impactful of Paul. Here's what he says. Some indeed, he's in chains, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and from strife and some also from goodwill. So what is happening here, he turns his enemies into his evangelists. So what happens is some are preaching Christ out of envy and strife. The word envy means that they are trying to take his following. They are trying to take the following of Paul while he's in prison. There's nothing new under the sun. Churches are going to try to take people's following. They do it all the time. It's called church hopping, church swapping. Listen to me. We are in competition with no church in this area, in this Houston area whatsoever. We are in cooperation with churches who preach the message of Christ. We are not in competition with anybody. We are not trying to steal sheep. We're not trying to get sheep. Paul was in prison. There was nothing he could do, and there were people who were preaching Christ. At least they were preaching Christ, but they were going after his flock because they had a selfish motive. May we never have a selfish motive here. May our only motive here be to glorify God and to lift God up and to praise God and to point people to Jesus Christ. That's all we're about here. Living proof of a loving God to a watching world. That's what Paul's saying. So some were preaching Christ while he was in prison from envy and strife. Competition. Ah, the man is down. The man is chained. I'm going after his flock. 
but some also from goodwill. Now, here's what was happening here. Paul believed in what the message of grace is called is saving grace. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Saving grace is where Christ comes to live in your heart, when he deposits his beautiful life by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, after saving grace, it's called living grace, okay? Saving grace is where Christ comes to save you and comes into your heart. Living grace is where Christ continues to live through you now that he saved you. So these preachers that were preaching with envy and strife, they had the message of saving grace down. Because if they were preaching error, Paul would have, he would have called them out like in Galatians. He called them out. But he didn't call them out here. He said they're preaching Christ. But their motive is wrong. Listen, as long as the message is right, the motive can even be wrong. Because God doesn't bless the preacher. He blesses the message that the preacher is preaching. Always get that. Some pastors' motives are wrong, but their message is right. This has really helped me. Because even this last week, I saw some posts by some pastors who slammed some other pastors. And it actually grieved my heart. Because although there may be a different stance of certain theological positions, it's not an issue of the saving grace. It's an interpretation of some other things. So what I look at is at least they're preaching Christ. At least we're preaching Christ here. And another church preaches Christ over here. So I can gather together and not be in competition with other churches. I can be in full cooperation when they're preaching the message of saving grace. Here's where a lot of people fall short. They don't preach the message of living grace. And we do here. Why? Because it's all throughout the Bible. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the book of Ephesians. We've talked about that. So you can have the right message of saving grace and miss the message of living grace. The message of living grace is where Christ lives in and through you, where in your prison it becomes a platform, and your platform is effective because of the Christ that's in you that's effective for ministry. You're not great. He's great. He lives in you. You're in this prison. So therefore, you have a platform. Squeeze the message out. That's living grace. Here's what we're real good to do as Baptists. We say this, there's nothing you could do to be saved. You can't bring any works whatsoever to be saved, and that's exactly right. We're saved by grace, not of works, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. But you know what we do in churches? Once we get somebody in and we say, you're saved by grace. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can bring to the table. You know what we do? Well, now you need to usher. Now you need to deacon. Now you need to be in a Sunday school teacher. Now you need to do this. Listen to me. The same way you get saved by the grace of God is the same way you serve by the grace of God. That's living grace. It's not come in by grace and, oh, now, now the rest is up to you. Show up at this meeting. Show up in this class. Do this and do this. In fact, I think that's our problem. We have gotten people into work rather than getting them to worship and understand who's and who they are in Christ, and we put them right into work, and they fumble around the rest of their life. Because saving grace and living grace fit like a glove. The same way you were saved by grace is the same way you live by grace. That's what Paul's saying. That's what he's saying here. So some preach Christ out of envy and strife, verse 15. Some from goodwill. Some have the message of living grace down. That's what he's saying. The former, verse 16. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition. In other words, it's about them. Just turn on your television. You see if it's not about some people on television. They don't even preach the message of grace. They preach the message of come under the law. Come up under the law. 
Buy my book and you'll be okay. Send me money and you'll be okay. No, you get to Jesus and he makes you okay. And once you're okay in Jesus, then you can serve out of that being okay. You don't serve to be okay. You serve out of already being okay. Saving grace and living grace fit. But some preach out of a selfish ambition. Some people preach so that you can see them and they can wax eloquently with the message. Listen, it's just about being real. It's you and I coming together, understanding we're broken people. We need a Savior. He has saved us by His grace. We can live in the power of His grace. And that's our platform for the rest of our life. And we can count it all joy in the midst of a trial. That's what Paul says. Look what he says here. Verse 16. At the end of it, he says, supposing to add, so they preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. So they're going to take a man who's down in prison and they're going to rub the chain. That's what they're doing. They're adding affliction. They're adding stress because they're selfish. It's about them. It's all about them. It's not about God. It's not about being a bondservant. It's about them. Look what Paul does here. He's genius. But the latter do it out of love. Some preach out of love, verse 17. Knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Apologetics. So what Paul is saying is that my whole life is an apologetic to people. I am preaching the gospel, not just with my lips, but with my life. So he says, the latter out of love. So some have a love love attitude toward grace. They understand living grace, Christ in you. Others have. They understand envy and strife, but at least Christ is being preached. And here's what he says in verse 18. And I'll finish with this. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being preached. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. You know what he's saying? Everybody swings the golf club differently. But the goal is to put the ball in the hole. There are a lot of pastors that swing the golf club differently. Some have a wide up swing. Some have a swing around swing. Paul's saying there's different people in the body of Christ that swing the golf club differently. But the goal is that we preach Christ and Him crucified. And that's actually what was happening. So what he was saying is the message may be right and the motive can be wrong and God still blesses the message because He doesn't plan to bless the motive. He plans to bless the message. It's His message. It's his work. It's his grace. And here's what he says in verse 18. So whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being preached in this, I rejoice. You know what Paul is saying? There's lost people everywhere in Rome. There's room for a lot of us in Rome to preach the gospel. Saving grace is being preached. Even though the preacher may have the wrong motive, the message is right. And so that's important. So here's what Paul said. Because The message is being preached. He came to a position where he recognized that in prison, people were taking advantage of him. People were using his position to exploit their own personalities and their own platform of ministry. And Paul said, listen, there's enough lost people in Rome as long as Christ is being preached. This has helped me. This has really helped me in my own personal walk. To be able to say, you know, Even though someone may say it differently, even though another church may emphasize this over this, as long as we can agree that saving grace is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, let's don't get focused on the peripheral stuff that tears us across in the body of Christ because there's enough lost people out there so that it takes a whole lot of us preaching Christ, right? You know how we preach Christ? 
with how we live. You can talk to your neighbor till you're blue in the face. When you go through a trial, your neighbor wants to see how you respond to the trial. The word rejoice means joy. And I want to end on this. Paul had joy before the trial. Paul had joy while he was in prison. Paul had joy after the prison experience. Paul experienced joy because joy is not happiness. Joy is something that's a gift that comes from God through Jesus Christ in salvation. God deposits his life of joy inside of you. So when you stand, you stand in joy. When you walk, you walk in joy. When you sit, you sit in joy. There's joy on this side, there's joy in this situation, and there's joy on the other side. Because the Bible says that Jesus went to the cross because of the joy set before him, which was you. You. He loves you that much. God has a plan for you. Some of you need to think about your platform of pain is a ministry to a whole watching world. And God has put his joy in your heart so that you can get up on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning and Friday and Saturday. Because joy is a gift. And that gift that God has given you needs to be expressed. And sometimes it's expressed through pain. I'm talking to some of you who are going through the most difficult experience of your life. It's challenging. It's stressful. It's filled with anxiety. It's filled with pain and regret and hurt. All of it mixed together. And if you don't let God focus you back on who he is today, you will be a casualty at war. But if you can allow God to focus you on who it is and who you are in him, He will navigate through your pain so that you can experience the most tremendous joy that you've ever experienced. Some of you today have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And there is no joy for the journey for you. It's one fleshly act after another fleshly act after another fleshly act. And when someone responds to you, you respond back with a fleshly act. How about today? Come to Jesus broken and repentant and say, God, today I'm going to let you fight my battles from now on. I'm going to trust in your son, Jesus Christ, because I need joy in my heart. I need joy that will live in me and be my gift from you to me because I didn't earn it. It's something you provided for me. And Jesus paid it all on the cross so that you could experience the joy that was set before him. And the joy that was set before him is you. And he loves you today. Don't bail. Don't quit. Don't waller in it. Let God be God. Trust Jesus as your Savior.